Pastor and Mrs. Carter have been helping people around the world for almost 60 years. They have worked in Australia, America, Africa, Inter-America, Russia, Siberia, Ukraine, India, the Philippines, and some places too sensitive to mention. They have reached a firm conclusion. People are pretty much the same wherever you go. Deep down inside, they have the same needs and ask the same questions. Here are some questions asked by people around the world. Maybe they are your questions too. I was brought up in a very strict religious home. My parents were good people, but I had a hard time conforming to all their religious rules. I don't really know God. I was taught that He is watching us every second and He will punish us for our mistakes. I don't like going to a church. It makes me depressed thinking about it. I don't understand. It's confusing. Who is God? What is your God like? I want you to think of the nicest person you've ever met. Just take a pause and think of the nicest and the kindest person you've ever met. Are you thinking? Okay, get the picture. The nicest person I've ever, ever met. Now, God is at least a billion times nicer than that person. God is a very, very kind and a very, very nice person. Now, Jesus, who was God in human flesh, was not like the religious people of the big church in his day. Those people put Jesus on the cross. But Jesus was warm and kind and forgiving. Children loved him. He said, let the little children come unto me. So I want you to get this into your mind, my friend. The God whom I serve is the most wonderful person, the kindest person and the best person. And somebody said these words, I don't want to offend my religious friends because I guess I'm a religious person, I'm a pastor. But God is not a religious person in the term of a religious person. God is not a sanctimonious person. God is warm, affable, gracious. I think the greatest text in the Bible is John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loved us that he gave his son. His son was a part of the Trinity, a part of his own, his own family. Jesus was God in human flesh. When Mary kissed the face of her little child, her little baby, she was kissing the face of God. Then this little baby grew up into a, a man. He became a carpenter. He got his hands with, with splinters in them. He, he made tables like this table from... Tasmania. And then when he went out and started to preach and to teach and to heal, people found him the most wonderful person. Jesus is not the stereotyped religious person in the stained glass window. I say to you, think of the kindest person you've, you've ever known. And remember this, God is at least a billion times nicer and better. I say, my friend, believe in the God who believes in you. He loves you.
Is public evangelism finished? It's a great question because I meet people all the time in churches and they tell me, oh, public evangelism is finished. But then out there in the secular world, I meet people who tell me that marriage is finished also. I meet people all the time who tell me that uh, fidelity is finished and goodness is finished. I don't believe that stuff. I'm not a negative person and I don't believe in negativism that is spewed out of people who do not believe in the teachings of the Word of God. I'm going to turn to a text over here in Luke chapter 24. And please be patient with me. Let me find this text. Luke 24 and verse 46. He told them, This is what is written. That Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witness, witnesses of these things. I'd rather believe what Jesus said. Jesus said, the gospel of Christ that saves our souls is going to be preached in Jerusalem. Tough place to start. God usually starts in tough places. God is not a person who gives in because things are tough. He says you're going to start at Jerusalem and then you're going to preach this gospel in America. You're going to preach it in Europe. You're going to preach it in Australia. You're going to preach it around the world. How can I believe that evangelism is finished when I believe in Jesus? How can I believe that marriage is finished when I believe in God? How can I believe that the Ten Commandments are finished when I believe in the Holy Spirit? I don't believe in this stuff. People who say that evangelism is finished are saying it because they do not know the great power of God. I hear all sorts of excuses. They say to me, it's finished because it takes so much. It takes hard work. Of course it takes hard work. I know about it. My family knows about it. Some time back, we had the privilege of going down to El Salvador. We ran a campaign in the National Football Stadium in the great city of San Salvador. People say, what do you do when you go there? Well, I take a team along. My son David is in charge of the team. And we've got lots of people who come with us. Many of them are volunteers. So what do you do? Well, you've got to build a tremendous stage. You've got to put up huge screens. You say, well, that's easy. Hey, try doing it. Before we went, the people in El Salvador so much believe in evangelism. They said to me, Pastor Carter, if you will come, we will run 80 evangelistic campaigns before you get there. We'll run them all over El Salvador. And then we will hire 760 buses to bring the people. Go and talk to those people and tell them, hey, it's finished. No, it's not finished, my friend, but a lot of people are going to be finished because of their unbelief. And when we had the meetings there, we had the largest crowds in the history of that part of the world. You say, you're talking about church crowds. No, I'm talking about football crowds. Uh, we can show you the pictures on the screen. People look at this and they say, hey, hey, are these fake pictures? No, this is not fake. This is the truth. Evangelism is not finished. I'll tell you why, my friend, because God is not finished. I've got other people come to me and they say, hey, we don't believe in evangelism. 
because it takes too much work and uh, it, it doesn't work. Of course it doesn't work if you don't work. And people say to me, it costs too much money. People have said to me, Pastor Carter, how much does a big Carter Report campaign cost? I'll tell you, at least a million dollars. A million dollars. What a sin to spend a million dollars. I say to them, my friends in Los Angeles, how much did you spend on your house? Oh, we spent um, one and a half million. Oh. So a house in Los Angeles is more important than souls. Is this what you're telling me? It's a wonder God puts up with our unbelief and our terrible sin and our rebellion. Then I come to Australia and people say to me, hey, Pastor Gutter, hey, don't you know it doesn't work? Why do you do it? Hasn't somebody told you? Well, I say to them, I think you were the people who told me it wouldn't work when we hired the Sydney Opera House. Remember how we had the largest number of people, the greatest crowds in the history of the Sydney Opera House? Do you remember that? Well, we tried to forget it. But weren't you the people who told me it didn't work? Um, well, it Okay, it worked then, but it doesn't work now. I want to tell you, my friend, it doesn't work because of our lack of faith and our lack of commitment to Christ. But I want you folks to know this, and I'm talking now to my marvellous friends and my supporters around the world, my great friends and supporters in Australia and in the United States of America and across Europe and even in the Middle East. You know that together we've run campaigns in Russia and in Ukraine where we saw the largest number of secular people attending religious meetings possibly in the history of Christianity. You say, no, I don't believe it. Well, it's true. Millions, communists, atheists. We saw it in India, Hindus and Muslims. People come to me and they say, well, they're not going to come. When they come, they say, well, they're not going to stay. When they stay, they say, well, if you baptize them, they're going to fall away. Think of our terrible sin of unbelief and our lack of faith. I thank God for my marvelous supporters who believe in the Bible and who believe in evangelism. I say to them, thank you. And to the rest, I say, I'll pray for you. Why does God permit suffering? Now, I'm going to try to give you the best answer that's in my soul. I'm going to try to give you an answer that comes from the Word of God. Now, there are lots of things John Carter doesn't understand. I want to make that very, very plain. Lots of things I don't understand. Just a, a week ago, I got a, an attack of a sickness that caused tremendous pain. I've had this attack now for five years, every few months. I've come to know what pain is like. This is a world that's full of pain and suffering. And the question is, why does a good God permit all of this bad suffering? Now, there's some truths that I believe. Number one, that God is good. God is good all the time. God is loving. For God so loved the world, he loves me. 
When I was going through pain the other night, the pain lasted most of the night. I was holding on to the great truth. God loves me. God understands. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that if if I believe in him, I will not perish. I will have everlasting life. So that's the great truth. Many things we can't understand. But there's one great truth you and I can understand. That is God loves us. And number two, when God made us, my friend, he made us with freedom of choice. You see, God is not a monster. God is not a dictator. Um, Because God loves us, he made us to love. I want you to think this through. I'm going to try to make this plain. may not be explaining it as good as I, I would like to, but I'm trying to make it plain. When a loving God made us, he made us to love. He didn't make us robots. You want your children to love you, don't you? But if your kids were robots, they couldn't love you. So a loving God made us with the capacity to love. And when he made us with the capacity to love so that we were, would not be robots, he made us with the ability to choose. You can't love unless you have the ability to choose. And so God made us with the ability to choose. And suffering started, as I can see it, in, in the book of Genesis. You read about it. And I'm going to come over here and try to explain it to you in Genesis chapter 3 and verses 2 to 7. This chapter explains most mysteries. Let me read it to you. The woman said to the serpent, of course, that's the devil. We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her And he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, God made our first parents as he made the angels, as he made Satan. He made us all with the capacity to choose. God said, if you eat this, you're going to get sick, you're going to die. He said, I I don't want you to eat it. I don't want you to make that bad choice. I want you to say no. But because we we thought we were smarter than God and because we thought God was a tyrant, we exercised our freedom of choice and we said yes to Satan. And then you read on in this chapter that everything fell to pieces. There came pain and there came suffering and there came death. Ultimately, pain and suffering and death are the consequences of our choosing sin. 
We live in a sin-cursed world. One day God is going to come and he's going to get rid of Satan. He's going to get rid of sin. And when he does so, he's going to get rid of, of suffering. But sin is the result of the human race making a bad choice and choosing evil instead of good. But that doesn't explain usually our personal suffering. It says in the book of Galatians, can't just think where the text is, I think it's probably Galatians 6, but it says, don't be deceived, God is not mocked, whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. We reap what we sow. The smoker who gets cancer reaps what he sows. I know of a famous American personality who, who boasted that he would never give up his smoking. Well, he's given it up now because he's dead. Much of our personal suffering, at least some of it, is because of what we eat, what we don't eat, because of our drugs, because of our bad habits. So we reap what we sow, but not all of our suffering is caused by our personal choice. We are in a web of humanity which has violated the laws of God. God made us to love. And so we could love. He made us with the capacity to choose. And because our first parents made the wrong choices, sin and death and sorrow came into the world. But there's some good news. Jesus is coming. There's going to be a brand new world. No sin, no Satan, no sorrow, no pain, no death. And it's yours for the asking. Do you believe in the Trinity, the idea that there are three gods? Was Jesus created by God? How many gods do you worship? I worship one God. I worship the God of the Bible. I worship the God of Holy Scripture. I worship the God of Genesis 1 and verse 1 that says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I worship the God that Jesus talks about here in Matthew chapter 28. Here it is. And verse 19. Let me read it to you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Hey, there you've got the blessed biblical trinity. Jesus didn't say go and baptize them in the names of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said baptize them in the name, singular, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about the Father and the Bible talks about the Son and the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says they are all God. Hey, you say to me, you're confusing me. No, I'm not, no, I'm not trying to confuse you. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says. Did you know that Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, is called God? Did you know that he is called Yahweh, the great name 
for the self-existent God? Hey, just hang with me for a minute. Don't go away. Be patient with me. I'm coming over here to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 1, verse 8. But about the Son, He, God, says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. God the Father turns to Jesus, who is called the Son, and He says, Your throne, O God, will last forever. Therefore, God the Father believes that Jesus is God the Son. I'm not making this up. I'm reading this out of the Bible. And then I come down to verse 10. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. Hey, 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 stay with me here. Hebrews chapter 1 God the Father turns to his son Jesus and says, your throne, O God, he calls him God. And then God the Father actually calls Jesus by the term Yahweh. Therefore, Jesus is called by the term Jehovah, the Almighty One, the self-existent One. God the Father did not create Jesus because Jesus was a part of the Godhead and had no beginning. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Logos, intelligence, the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was with the Father. And it says, the Word was God. He was divine. So Jesus is called Almighty God in the Scriptures. I'm going to read you another text here. This is a text that sort of blows me away. I'm going to come over here to John chapter 8 and verse, let me see, verse 58 and verse, I'm getting it, John chapter 8. Uh, stick with me, John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus is having an altercation with the Jews. And Jesus says this. Here it is. I tell you the truth, verse 58. Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. You know why? Because they, they got it. You and I may not get it, but the Jewish people got it. Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. The term I am is taken from the book of Exodus. Uh, Moses is talking to the almighty God, the Yahweh Elohim. And Moses says to God, the almighty God, what's your name? What is your name? Oh, great God, what is your name? He says, I am, that I am. Go tell the people, I am, has sent me to you. Go, go do this, Moses. My name is not I was, my name is I am. He is the self-existent God. He is the one who never had a beginning. He never has an ending. The Bible tells us, that this great I am in the person of Jesus Christ actually became a man. Wow. Blows me away. Jesus forgave sins. Only God can do that. Jesus is God in human flesh. You say to me, but you know, I can't believe, I, I don't understand this. Hey, I don't understand it either. Do you under, understand electricity? 
Do you understand eternity? Do you even understand what a molecule is? Do you understand what a cell is? A lot of things we don't understand. But there, I, I don't understand this doctrine of the biblical trinity, but I believe it because the Bible teaches it. Then the Bible talks about the third person of the Godhead, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Don't have too much time for this now. But the book of Romans tells me that the Holy Spirit has a mind. He thinks. He moves. He's got compassion. The Holy Spirit has the capacity to love us. He knows everything. He is a person. And the Holy Spirit is called by the name of God. And you can read this in the Bible, in the book of Acts. So I don't believe in the pagan idea of the Trinity. Of course I don't. I believe in the Bible idea of the Trinity. I believe that God the Father is almighty God. I believe that Jesus Christ, the blessed Son, is almighty God. In the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, Jesus is called the Almighty, the beginning and the end. The Alpha and the Omega. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. He is not just an influence. He is a person. He is a real person. The story of redemption is this. The God in Christ made the universe. Trillions and trillions and trillions of blazing suns. Billions and billions and billions, even trillions of galaxies. What a, what a tremendous God he is. You say, you know, I, I'm discouraged. Well, don't be discouraged if you believe in God. You say, I'm depressed. I say, don't give up because God is great. God is almighty. Anything God wants to do, God can do. If God is for you, who can be against you? Believe this, brother, sister. So God in Christ made the universe and then God in Christ became a man. He, he was born of the blessed Virgin Mary. Somebody says, that's impossible. What do you know about something being impossible? Nothing is impossible for God. You know, we're like little ants that crawl across the dining room floor and we look up and we see the TV and we say, can't understand it. Hey, what do we understand anyhow? But I believe in the words of Scripture because these words are inspired and the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead who is the active agent in creation who leads us to Christ and to repent of our sins and who leads us to salvation. And I, want to, I have a message from my heart to your heart from the Word of God to you today. With God on your side, Everything is going to turn out good. Everything is going to be great. There's a new world coming. Jesus is coming. We're going to get new bodies. We're never going to get tired. We're never going to have pain. We're going to live forever and ever and ever and we're going to be happy and rejoicing. It's going to be a billion times better than you can imagine. Believe in the God who believes in you, friend. This is John Carter from his home, from his study.
from his table with his books saying, thank you for joining me today and may God bless you over and beyond all you can ask or think for Christ's sake. Amen. For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.